Hoopsology podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best, as you know, in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code Hoopsology at Manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived and all man is a game changer. A huge shout out goes to Manscaped for hooking Matt and I up with the Performance Package. Inside this package, you'll find a lot of useful items. You'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer that you've probably heard of before. You'll also find their new weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer. You'll find crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner. Don't sleep on those products, gentlemen. Performance boxer briefs and a travel bag. And for my bearded brethren, and I know there are a lot of you out there, be sure to check out the new Beard Hedger, which is a tool that makes managing your beard so much easier. 20 different instantly adjustable length options, no more messing with multiple clips with your trimmer. It's a really slick and ingenious product. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Hoopsology. That's H-O-O-P-S-O-L-O-G-Y at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code Hoopsology. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. We thank Manscaped for supporting the show. In this edition of Hoopsology, Justin and Matt welcome ESPN personality and author of Got Your Number, Mike Greenberg. Greenberg shares some of his favorite basketball memories before he discusses the motivation for writing his latest book. We also discussed the evolution of sports debate. Got Your Number is available at your local bookstore. You don't want to miss this chat with Mike Greenberg. Really insightful, really interesting book. Make sure you go check it out. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all your favorite social media platforms for our latest content. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Mike Greenberg. He is currently the host of Get Up, an NBA countdown on ESPN, and he is the author of Got Your Number, which will be available in your local bookstores by the time you listen to this podcast. We welcome Mike Greenberg onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Mike? It's going well. How are you guys? Doing really well. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Big fans of your work, so thanks for taking the time. We have a tradition on our show since we are a basketball podcast and we focus on basketball culture. And we want to get your first basketball memory or favorite basketball memory, just your connection to the game. When was that first formed? Wow. So my first and my favorite, well, maybe they are the same. So when I was a kid, um, I grew up in New York City. My father would take me to Madison Square Garden all the time in the in the 70s, the mid-70s. Um, I'm, I'm just too young to remember the championship Knicks. I remember Walt Frazier at the very end uh, with his career with the Knicks. I remember Bill Bradley and, and DeBusher a little bit. Earl Monroe was still on the Knicks at that time. <clears throat> and... Um, but they were no longer the great teams that they had been in the early 70s. But I remember the, the great players of the 70s coming through, how much fun it was. I remember the way the garden smelled. That was when you could still smoke cigars in the garden. So to me, I, you would see the smoke wafting up um, <laughs> the old blue seats. They used to call it the blue heaven up there in the garden. And, and we would sit there and I, I, I fell in love with the sport. 
as a little kid, I can still hear John Condon's voice. He was the legendary PA announcer saying, welcome to, to Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. Tonight, it's the Knicks against the Philadelphia 76ers. And, and um, you know, the great players of that area, of that era, Julius Irving and Rick Barry and Elvin Hayes and Wes Unseld and, you know, all the guys of Dave Cowens, a largely, I think, forgotten era of basketball, which I think is a shame. I'm always the one who stands up for the 70s because I feel like basketball history for some people sort of it, it goes from Russell Celtics to Magic and Larry and it like leaves <laughs> an, entire, an entire decade of great players and teams. But anyway, um, so those are my first memories and still obviously really wonderful memories. And then if you fast forward, you know, 15 years or so, when I got out of college, I got a job in Chicago covering sports and through a series of extremely fortunate uh, circumstances, I wound up being assigned to cover the Michael Jordan Bulls home and road as a beat when I was 24 years old. And um, I don't even know how to put into words uh, how impactful that has been on my life. Certainly in my professional life, it's overwhelmingly the most important thing that ever happened to me. Um, and, and the things that I learned from it and being able to be around him and around them daily, uh, as I was for in my case for four years, um, it was incredible. So I was with him for the 92 championship, 93, I went down and covered him playing baseball when he did that. And then back when he came back and played uh, for the bulls in 95 and then 96. And then I went to ESPN after that. So I wasn't there for the last two <clears throat> championships, but those were the most formative times of my professional life. That's where I learned everything about sports, everything I think, everything I believe about what it takes to be a champion, what it takes to be a great player, what, what a team should be, not just in basketball, but in any sport, what a player should be, what a leader should be, and not just in basketball, but in any sport. I got those from Michael Jordan and I got those from the Bulls and that, that will forever be what shaped the way I approach um, my professional life and, and the way I view sports. So from that experience, how did she take that in creating the book? Um, were there any lessons from those days that she applied to the creative process of, yeah. of the I book? Kind of. So, so I've written several books before, but this is the first sports book I ever did. And so this was very different. I've always wanted to do a sports book, um, but the God's honest truth is I just never had a good enough idea. It, as, as you guys know, you create you know, your podcast and however long it is, you know, it's a half hour, whatever the, you know, it's, it's one thing to fill that, to, to have an idea to fill that fills an entire book is, it's not as obvious and, and, or at least it wasn't to me and I couldn't come up with one. And then one day the get up team were sort of sitting around after the show one day. And because we're just a bunch of sports geeks like you guys, um, the conversation turned to the fact that so many pro football hall of fame quarterbacks all wore the Jersey number 12. Uh, Joe Namath, Jim Kelly, Ken Stabler, Terry Bradshaw, uh, Roger Staubach, uh, Bob Greasy, and and soon to be Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And someone in the room said, yeah, Greeny, they all wore the number 12, but which one of them owns the number 12? And I said, mm -hmm. there it is. There's my idea. And, and so what I decided was, who owns number one in sports? Who owns number two? Like 23 is easy. The numbers that were just obvious were 3, 23, 42, and 99. Those did not require any thinking. The rest of them were pretty, some of them were very tough decisions and fun to make. 
And so with the help of my right-hand man, Hembo, who has been doing my stats for, for more than 10 years, we made these decisions. And so the book is sort of equal parts sports debate because I made some choices. You will agree with some and disagree with others. And then you can talk to your friends or to each other or whoever you want and say, I can't believe that he gave this number to this guy instead of him. And you can say, no, he's absolutely right. And now the two of you are debating it and it's great. So there's that part of it. And then there's also the sports history part of it, which I love. I grew up reading a ton of sports history. I loved reading sports books. And I feel like there isn't as much of that anymore. So I'm delighted with that. And what I guarantee both of you and anyone within the sound of our voice is that if you read this book, that you will at least 100 times. So there are, there are 100 snackable little chapters. Each chapter is an essay that I wrote. They're all about two to three pages long. That at least 100 times, so at least once per chapter, you will say, wow, I didn't know that. I, I guarantee it. That's how good the research was. So that's what this book is. So um, I don't know to what degree I applied the lessons that I learned from covering sports to this. I, I think I applied more my knowledge and understanding of the context of sports history, which comes from not only a career spent covering it, but really a lifetime spent um, studying it, just, you know, being endlessly fascinated by it. Yeah, and I, I definitely second what you said there, Mike. I mean, a very, very fun and informative read. And I I just love the concept of the book too. It's, it's just so much fun. And makes it easy to turn the pages really quickly, having it broken down in that one through a hundred format. Wanted to ask you, you know, for Justin and myself, when we were growing up, like I gave Justin the example earlier um, on our middle school basketball team, Justin and I went to middle school together. Uh, everyone's in line, like fighting when we're picking out jerseys to get 23. Cause that, that's just the number that we wanted. You know, we, we were raised on Michael Jordan wanted to know based on your research for the book and, and your teaming with Hembo on that, what were the Jersey numbers that were like that in eras before Michael Jordan? Like what were the numbers most common that the kids were fighting for on those sports teams? Do you have any well, perception sure. of that? And when you were growing up and before that Ryan Clark, well, I'll just give you a bunch of examples from different eras. Ryan Clark, we did a, a, a an event to promote the book the other night. And Ryan Clark told me that because of Deion Sanders, every kid who played defensive back wanted to be number 21. All mm. of them wanted to be number 21. Um, when my son was playing AAU basketball, you could always tell who the best player on the other team was going to be because that was the kid wearing 23. They always get <laughs> the best kid 20. So you always knew, look, where's 23? Okay, our best defensive guy is going to go, uh, going to go cover him. Um, you know, and, and then the really legendary numbers. Look, I mean, let's 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 take it from the other side. In the NBA, no one will ever wear the number six again. In the NHL, no one will ever wear the number 99 again. In Major League Baseball, no one will ever wear the number 42 again. Those are the most iconic numbers because of the nature of them. Uh, to take it back to Jordan for a minute, my wife, who's a good sports fan, but she doesn't live and eat and sleep and breathe and die with it like, like the three of us do. When, when you know, we are, we are married a long time now. When we got to our 23rd anniversary, she said to me, oh, we're in our Michael Jordan year. Like that's just <laughs> become a thing, right? Like that, the, the number 23, it transcends sports. Like he owns that number in every way that it can be. And I think in generations past, those numbers probably would have belonged to Babe Ruth and some others. I can give you a good example. We gave the number 10 to Pele. And because of Pele, 
the number 10 is iconic in soccer. So because of, of Pele wearing number 10, Diego Maradona wore 10, uh, Lionel Messi wears 10, um, that, because Pele made that number iconic. And other places where the numbers become iconic are in uh, NASCAR and race car driving. Um, you know, we, we, there are drivers in the book. And Richard Petty, for example, was as, as, as completely and thoroughly identifiable with the number 43 as, as anyone. He was just the 43 car. Um, we gave Babe Ruth number three, but certainly Dale Earnhardt was the, the three was um, an indelible part of his, um, of his persona. So numbers have always had that ability, have always had that quality. And, um, and, and those, I think, are some of the most obvious ones. But I, I think all the way going back to the beginning, numbers, the, the Yankees in that, in that era were really the first team to start wearing numbers. One of the things I found out that I did not know, and, and maybe you guys knew this, maybe people listening knew this, I will confess I didn't. Do you know why Babe Ruth wore the number three? No. Because he batted third in the order. Oh, wow. oh, that's right. Number, that's how Garrett <laughs> was four. That, that's just how they decide. All right, you're up first. You're wearing one. You're one. You're two. You're three. You're four. That's how they freaking chose this. Like, I mean, uh, who knew? That, that's such a, I thought that in and of itself was so completely fascinating. And, and don't feel bad that you didn't know it. I didn't know it until we started doing the research for this. I said to him, but where did the numbers start? And, and it actually, I loved that part of it too. Uh, let me read just very briefly this um, part of it where the numbers came from uh wait a minute i'll find this for you here give me a half a second talk amongst yourselves um where is it uh, 1897 in a rugby match is the first time in in new zealand between queensland and new zealand is the first recorded event of a sporting event taking place in which players wore numbers on their uniforms so this goes back to 1897. It didn't come to the U.S. until 1916. The Cleveland Indians became the first team in Major League Baseball to put numbers on their sleeves, and the players hated it. And so they stopped, and it was discontinued for a few years and then started again. Like even just the history of the numbers, I found to be fascinating and fun. So, Mike, just with the book i think what comes to mind is what matt and i do this on a on a weekly basis is just the art of debate and you have been just witness to how debate has evolved over time and we live in an age of social media now um just to the evolution of technology do you think that has harmed or helped just the art of debate in general i mean you have your an expert in this field um do you think it's like does i remember when we were growing up with sports talk radio jim rome shows like yourself mike and mike i was just obsessed with listening to now i feel like the discourse i feel is muddled on social media do you think like technology has disarmed just the overall state of sports debate in particular that's an excellent question so has it harmed debate here's what i'll say i think it has been detrimental to the psychological well-being of the athletes themselves mm. i think the constant Look, so I started out in the business, as, as you just described, at the advent of sports talk in radio. That's when I first got in the business. And I remember when we launched the first all sports radio station in Chicago, that was very controversial. You can't just let fans call in and say whatever they want. <laughs> and and our, our, our attitude was, well, why not? 
you don't have to have a journal, you know, and in those days, the big opinionists were the columnists for the newspapers. And I remember, you know, saying, well, you don't have to have a journalism degree to say that was a terrible throw. Um, and, and, uh, that's what it, that's how it started. But maybe to the extent that that begat all the different things that subsequently begat to where it has led to this now, where I think the players are, uh, subjected to a never ending barrage of not so much the debate as it is the negativity and criticism. I think that has had a detrimental effect on, on, athletics in general on sports in general the debate piece of it i think is actually only a small part of that now that i think it through but it's like most good questions it requires a little unpacking so as far as the debate part i think most of the debate stuff is still pretty good like i don't think that lebron james and kevin durant and kyrie irving and others get frustrated because we're debating whether they're greater than this guy or greater than that guy I think Kevin Durant gets frustrated because people take personal attacks, make personal attacks upon him. Man, you are weak. You are soft. What you did is the softest thing. You're not, you know, they, they, they question his, his, his personhood, his manhood, his, his, his integrity, his courage. That's a vastly different thing than saying, man, he doesn't have, he's not good enough with his left hand or he's not as good as that guy. That's not really debate. That's just sort of an, an onslaught of personal attack. And that has to be very difficult for anybody, particularly young people. Here's what I'll say. I'm an older person, comparatively speaking, to the, to the pro athletes who did not really become a public figure. I didn't become a, a, an even remotely famous person until I was in my late 30s. And, and so well older than... I was about the age then that, that LeBron James is now. Everyone perceives him to be so old. But my point is that I was a fully formed person with, I mean, a wife and kids and, and a life and priorities and, and a real understanding of who I am before anyone gave a damn about me and before the first person ever uttered any, before, before the words, Greeny, you suck, were ever uttered anywhere. And as a consequence of that, they bother me a lot less. Like, look, let's face it. What can you say to me that's going to make any difference? Like, no one has it better than I do. My life is exactly what I want it to be. Um, but if that stuff had been going on when I was 24 years old, that would have been a and, and it was constant and everywhere. That, I think, would have been really challenging to handle. So I do have a, a great degree of of empathy and compassion for the players and what they deal with today. doesn't mean they always handle it well, but um, I get it. So the debate piece, I'm not sure how much the debate piece of it has really changed, but I think that the overall, the overall discussion that surrounds sports is at times almost feels toxic and it's so unnecessary because what sports are meant to be is just an escape from that. And I think that gambling, the, the preponderance of gambling, people having a legitimate stake in this stuff, not just my fandom. It's not just that I love the Knicks and I want them to win or I love the Bulls and I want them to win, but I have money riding on this game. I think that has also greatly impacted the way these conversations take place. So that's a really good question that you asked me. And 
that that's that's my thought. I think it is less about the debate than it is about some of just the toxicity that surrounds what is supposed to be an escape from that. Yeah, great points there, Mike. Um, one more question for you, and it's it's kind of another big one, so I, I hope I can give you adequate time to answer it. But uh, I wanted to ask, you know, there's athletes covered in your book that are just seen, I mean, athletes that played before I was born that seem like mythical almost figures, you know, even though these are all people, these are all human beings. Do you get the sense in the modern era from what you're seeing and the analysis that you do with sports and along the lines of what we just discussed with social media, do you get the feeling that athletes still moving forward are going to ascend into that mythical era? Like, you know, thinking of like a LeBron James who just broke Kareem's impossible scoring record, it seemed. Um, do you think we'll still have that sort of mythical sense for the kids coming up now that are getting that nostalgia tied in with it, all those things. Absolutely. That, that's the best thing about sports. And I don't, I, I don't think, think there's any reason to think that will ever change. Like every generation will have those people. I, I go to these arenas all the time covering these sports. You, um, the way people, particularly young people react to Steph Curry, for example, it is like, a combination of the Beatles, the president, and and the whoever else you know has just walked in. The, the the Neil Armstrong, the first person who landed on the moon, like 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 the the you know when Steph Steph comes over and takes a picture with a kid or so you you've all seen it. We show the highlights on TV, you know, or the, the that little moment where the little kid gets the picture taken or whatever it is, and then just starts to cry. Because they're just so overwhelmed. Look, my son is 20 years old. He's not a little kid by any means. And when he met Steph Curry, he couldn't speak. He couldn't speak. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, he just was like, you're the greatest. I mean, you're the best thing in the like. And, and, and I think every generation has those people. So we know these guys a little too well now. So some of the flaws are a little more on public display than they were in my youth. But I also think that the, the, the younger generation of fans will just become accustomed to that. Like this, the expectation of there being perfect won't exist anymore. Like you're going to live with some of that stuff. Um, the NBA, I think right now in particular, has an incredibly attractive collection of young superstars. Um, I hope against hope that John Morant sort of gets it together, whatever it is that's going on with him. And I won't speculate much about it, but whatever is going on with him, that he genuinely does get any and all the help that he needs. He's such a young man. He's such a charismatic star. He's such a brilliant player. Um, I think he could be a player who transcends the sport. If God help us, Zion Williamson should ever stay healthy. I think he is a player who could um, bring that kind of star power. Um, there, there are such, there are so many other really wonderful young players in the league of different sorts. I could see a guy like Trey Young sort of wearing the, the, the Reggie Miller role of being sort of the, you know, the villain. And, uh, and I think a guy like Devin Booker is waiting to become just a mega star. He's such a good player. Um, he, I could see him becoming sort of a Kobe-esque. I don't mean to compare him to Kobe directly, but that kind of. Um, you know, sort of filling that role in the NBA, that 
that kind of player. Luka Doncic, such an incredible talent to watch and still so young. So I, I think the league has a ton of, and that's not even to mention like Jason Tatum, who may be the best of them all and, and some of the others. So, and, and then the international piece of it is, is so important too, guys. Like I made the observation on the radio the other day, the, 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 the Hall of Fame class was just named, right? Actually, they'll, I think officially, as, as we are recording this conversation, it hasn't officially been named, but it's been, everyone knows who they are. And there are, there are players, you know, and people from coaches and stuff like that from different walks of basketball. But of the four players who are primarily in because of their careers in the NBA, three of them were not Amer- are not American, and two of them did not play one game in college basketball. Joel Embiid, Pau Gasol, um, Tony Parker, and, and then Dwayne Wade is the fourth. So Wade, obviously, born and raised in Chicago, played at Marquette. And and the, the the old traditional path to the NBA. Uh, Joel Embiid, obviously not born in America, did play one year in Kansas and then and then to the NBA. Pau Gasol, obviously not born in America, never played in college in America. Tony Parker, not born in America, didn't play in American college. So um, the 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 explosion of uh, the international contribution to the game is only going to continue to grow and only going to make it better, not just more popular, but better. Just stands to reason. If, if you're choosing from a, a pool of 300 million people or of 8 billion people, you're going to get better players if you're choosing from 8 billion. So um, I think the sport, like all sports, is only going to get better and better as we go. And I see no reason to think that young fans in particular will not continue to revere these star athletes the way they always have. And I hope my, my favorite athletes these days as a father and an older fan myself um, are the ones who, who take that responsibility seriously. And it's not an obligation, I, I, but it should be. I, I don't, obligation is just not the right word. Like if, if, if you're a young athlete and you say to me, man, I don't want to be a role model of your kids. Okay. I mean, I guess I can't tell you that you have to want to be, but you should want to be, you should take that seriously. If young people look up to you and you can make, the difference in their lives, you should want to. And I think we have, for the most part, great young players in the NBA who do want to. And I, that's the best thing about the sport. I oh, completely agree. Mike, thanks very much for joining us. Um, please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find the book, where they can find it on social media, all the platforms are running, anything else you want us to know as well. well. Yeah, the book is called Got Your Number, and it is available for pre-order this minute anywhere that you order books. And as of Tuesday, April 4th, it will be available anywhere you go get books. In fact, if you walk into a bookstore and it isn't there, let me know because it's supposed to be. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at ESPN Greenie. Um, and I will be posting plenty of opportunities to order the book there as well. So thank you very much for letting me mention those things. And I, I couldn't be more excited about this project. It's really something that... It feels like the continuation of my career in some ways, but it is also something brand new in its own way for me. So that makes it a lot of fun. Mike, thank you very much. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. I enjoyed it.